It is time for our very first Tacky Talk of 2023 with State Representative Jackie Chan of Quincy. Happy New Year, Jackie. Happy New Year, Joe, and uh, everybody watching on QA TV land. It has been a very, uh, although uh, vacation week for a lot of folks, uh, not on Beacon Hill. It's been extremely active up there, I know. Uh, no, it was not. My desire for binge watching during the holiday season was not going to happen. Uh, moving into the final days of session, we talked a little about this before the holiday. Uh, you know, there was a lot of uh, bills to try to move through informal session on the last night of session, which uh, which is either January third, the day before swearing in, there January fourth. And I was getting phone calls uh, through the weekend about you know various pieces that people are trying to get done and you know providing some feedback what's going on. So you know some stuff was actually pretty interesting. We got through, for example, the catalytic converter. A bill that makes it a crime to steal catalytic converters and to require greater uh, requirements regarding scrap metal dealers before they purchase uh, catalytic converters from strangers, essentially, uh, to determine uh, you know whether or not uh, it's hot goods, right? Um, and uh, those aren't aware. It's actually not that difficult to steal a catalytic converter. You just go in there with a hacksaw, you know, cut off the ears of the pipe, and then you know, drop and run. Uh, it's been incredibly popular uh, crime uh, nationally. Uh, there's precious meadows in there uh, that can be uh, resold, but the converter itself has a degree of value. And replacing catalytic converter can be you know, upwards of several thousand dollars, two, three, four thousand dollars, depending on the car. And insurance companies, uh, you know, are you know, challenged because you know it's theft. Um, and law enforcement, insurance companies, and uh, car manufacturers and others fully support this bill. And you know, thankfully, uh, it got passed in the law on the last day of session, and the governor signed off on it. So there's an example. of you know, a porting bill that made it through the line. Conversely, another bill that I'm very disappointed in didn't make it the line was revenge porn. Mm. Or to put it, um, people put unauthorized sexual act tapes, uh, those for personal use, uh, you know, onto the internet for the purpose of harming another. Uh, and uh, while I'll fully admit it's very difficult to catch these perpetrators, uh, those who do catch should be punished in a full extent of the law. And unfortunately, the House and Senate didn't get that done in the last night of session. So, you know, we were able to move, you know, a lot of bills in the, the last uh, last night. Unfortunately, some of these didn't make a little over the line and hope you know, that House and Senate leadership has reformed uh, the committee members and formed the leadership teams. You know, we'll move that bill, for example, to the top of the list of things we should get done early this year. Can it, can it kind of pick up where it left off um, or does it have to start a new tacky? Has to start anew uh, through uh, the committee process. Uh, obviously, we could suspend rules and move things forward. We have done that before. For example, in the prior session, the global warming bill didn't quite get over because the government vetoed it. Uh, not the one we just did, the, the prior global warming bill, that, as we know, time is a little weird. Uh, we suspended both the House and Senate, and basically the membership agreed that, you know, we already agreed to a version internally uh, on the both branches, and we're just going to let suspend rules and ship the, the bill back up to the governor. Um, which is what we did. And the governor sent back his vetoes and we overrode the vetoes uh, that January. So uh, Speaker Mariano was elected um, at the end of 2020. So it was uh, you know, through January 2021, uh, you know, we suspended rules and, and uh, moved forward in bills the House and Senate agreed upon in the prior session. Given fact that we were operating emergency rules and the nature of COVID and just how screwed up the world was, I'm trying to get anything done around here. It was a mess. Um, it was the most prudent thing to do at the time. Uh, given you know, how much uncertainty there was. And the decision-making was contingent on what was going to happen in the real world around us regarding COVID, right? It's not 
necessarily what happens inside the state house. It's everything around the state house that you all live, all of us live in, is what uh, drives a lot of decision making. So, you know, in 2021, we, you know, we uh, just kind of like expedited everything in the first two months because we didn't have a, a proper session to do everything. Um, I suspect it'll be a more normalized uh, session when we come back to pre-COVID behavior in terms of operations. Uh, we'll see what happens in the end. Rules debate will be coming up at some point in the next three or so weeks. Um, and uh, we're hoping that the speaker makes his decisions and leadership team and uh, chairmanship and vice chairmanship appointments and committee appointments to be presented to the Democratic caucus uh, for our approval, uh, hopefully sometime in the next four weeks. But again, the speaker operates on his own timeline before presenting to the Democratic caucus uh, his recommendations. Um, but I mean, we're going to have in-person session with in-person swearing in. Um, but you know, I'm hoping you know we'll be asking for uh, situations regarding severe medical problems. And if you're bringing a disease to the building, don't come here. Uh, and uh, you know, create some mechanisms in there to ensure that uh, we're not spreading uh, diseases among ourselves. Uh, the chamber is very cramped. If you watched any of the governor's swearing in ceremony, uh, it gives you kind of a clue. Uh, it's not exactly that cramp on a regular formal session, but it gives you a bit of a clue about how quickly uh, and how tight space the uh, house chamber really is. Yeah. Did you uh, attend the, the lone walk ceremony for uh, for Charlie Baker? I did not. Uh, sadly, uh, you do this enough times long enough, you don't need to see it again. Um, <laughs> it's it's I, it's very uncommon. It's four eight years, generally eight years because of the nature of governorships these days. And I encourage my staff to go and watch it, but I've seen Bill Bell with Paul Salucci, which had an unusual one because the grand staircase wasn't open, Jane Swift, you know, and Mitt Romney. Uh, so I've seen a, a few of these, uh, but it is a, a unique opportunity for people uh, near the state. I also want to come to the state house to watch the walk, even though it's not like it takes you know, long. Um, and ironically, you know, the governor was still signing bills uh, up to swearing in day. Uh, on um, the new legislative session on Wednesday. Um, so, you know, because the you know, bills, um, uh, the bills are tied to the governor of the session that was passed in. So when Maury Healy got sworn in as governor, uh, she uh, cannot sign bills from the prior session. And uh, everything the governor doesn't sign gets pocket vetoed, as many people remember from school the concept of pocket vetoes of the end of a legislative cycle, the governor doesn't sign it, it doesn't become law in 10 days, it that's pocket vetoed. So uh, the governor uh, pocket Basically, vetoed. he puts it in his pocket and forgets about it. Essentially, yeah, it's, yeah. It, I don't have to acknowledge it, it just dies on its own. So there were uh, two bills that got a pocket veto. Uh, one uh, role to do uh, a technical correction regarding judicial uh, contiguous service. Basically, if you have a break in service as a judge, you should be able to you know, combine contiguous uh, the breaks in service like any other public employee. Uh, so you have you know, contiguous service for retirement calculation. It's, it's really a technical correction to put them in line with literally everybody else that allows you to use prior service. Uh, and there's a break between uh, employment and you come back to government employment, you can merge the time together because you already vested uh, prior. So uh, I know that didn't sound very clear, but short answer is that you know, I worked 20 years in government um, I leave government for five, I come back to government, work another 10 more. That should be 30 years. Judicial system doesn't allow uh, to do that regarding judges, regarding judges' break in service. 
So it was, you know, that was a typical correction that the governor pocket vetoed. And it's actually my bill. So that's kind of really weird that I've been pocket vetoed. And then there's, uh, uh, I can't remember the other one. It's another home petition. I think that, that the governor had problems with, which I can't remember off the top of my head. So, but uh, you know, Governor Baker was busy right up to right up to the very end. So, has uh, Governor Healy uh, got her uh, whole cabinet uh, put together now? She's got some of it put together. She's seen it in newspapers. And she's she's health and human services is the one that's vacant at the moment. That's the one that has the most attention to press. But and there's economic development, this administration finance. Um, she created a new cabinet regarding this climate change coordination among government, uh, energy environment secretary, but I mean, there's more along the way. She's still filling out her inner staff uh, in the governor's office while trying to fill out the secretariats at the same time. Then she has to fill out the undersecretaries, the commissioners, the deputy commissioners, and so forth. So she's, she's got hundreds of appointments she, she, she still needs to make uh, and uh, put in governor work. And not to say that, uh, you know, people are doing poorly. I mean, people do get compensated. But relative to the private sector, private sector, and especially now the wage market that we're in now, it's getting more and more challenging uh, for uh, any governor. It doesn't matter what political party but to hire people out of private sector to take, you know, maybe up to sixty percent pay cut, depending, you know, if you were CEO of a company or CEO or CFO, uh, to come work in government where you're getting paid, you know, about 180, you know, one hundred ninety, where you were making closer to like four hundred, five hundred thousand dollars in private sector. Because, I mean, Health and Human Services, you know, runs almost 50% of government services. We include Medicare, Medicaid, you know, mass health. So, I mean, you're looking at, you know, a person that's running, you know, a $15 billion agency, right? This was a private sector job. You're getting compensated a million dollars uh, to run a $15 billion company. Uh, here, you know, I, I don't remember exactly how it is, but you're not making million dollars. Uh, relative to the size of the agencies you got to oversee. And the governor will do some reorganization. We're fully aware that economic development and housing is going to get broken up to economic development and housing will be a separate secretary. So we, we know that's coming. Uh, we'll, the governor needs to file a, a bill uh, to do reorganization. But once she has her plan in place, we'll see the bill. And the legislature historically is not inclined to uh, object to the governor's reorganization, generally speaking. Not like we haven't objected, but you know, generally we don't. So, you know, uh, give it more time. Uh, the state governor stated a state address that will come along at some point. She pretty much gave the state and state address during her inaugural, which actually took me a little bit by surprise. Uh, inaugurals generally don't lay out your entire policy agenda. Uh, you kind of touch in a few things and, uh, um, you know, talk about, uh, you know, the importance of governing and hope to get things done together as opposed to laying out a bunch of details. Generally, we expect that as state of state, but, you know, it's her inaugural. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's it's and you still got all the unpaid boards and commissions. I mean, there's thousand some odd uh, rotating. Uh, I'm not saying they're all going to be happening at once, but rotating uh, boards and commissions as you know, vacancies appear. You know, she's going to have to put uh, folks in, and these are not paid jobs. So uh, you got to get volunteers out there to make the you know the one be appointed to these boards and commissions. Yeah. Plus, I mean, she was attorney general, so now we have an acting attorney general, right? Yeah, we uh, it's a it's a gap in time problem. Uh, she became a governor, so she has to resign as attorney general. And she became governor, so you have an acting attorney general until uh, the governor attack attorney general is sworn in on the 18th, so next Wednesday, and uh, as well as secretary of state, the state auditor, and the state uh, treasurer. So, but since she went from one constitutional office to another, and there's no uh, uh, direct handoff between the two and timing. 
you know, this is what happened. Same thing actually happened to a uh, district attorney. People forgot this too. When uh, Bill Keating went, became a congressman, uh, there was a gap in time between the swearing in and uh, the swearing of the district attorney because Congress gets sworn in uh, sooner uh, than the district attorney by two days, I think. So Bill Keating had to resign. They appointed Michael Morrissey as the district attorney. The governor appointed him district attorney for two days until he was sworn in as district attorney. Interesting. Yeah, I did forget about that, but that's right. I remember that now. Yeah. Yeah. Was it two days or 10 days? Whatever. It was a gap. So, uh, you know, in the AG's case, you know, we, we have a, an appointed uh, temporary AG by the, by the attorney general. Uh, the Constitution allows the legislature to appoint the new attorney general, but it's kind of silly. Between the 4th of January and the 18th of January, there's no point to the legislature appointing an attorney general. However, we'll be appointing a new governor's counselor. Uh, oh. The governor's counselor, Jubaville, has become a clerk magistrate. I oh, think. right. And uh, it's the start of a new year term. Mm-hmm. And if, uh, my understanding to fill the vacancy requires a joint session of the House and Senate and the Constitutional Convention for the purposes of electing a uh, governor's counselor. Okay, that's right. He lives right over in Milton, actually. That's right. Yeah, uh, in Quincy, our governor's counselor is Ianella. Uh, so uh, I have, uh, none of us actually have a direct stake in this. Uh, I'm sure there's some degree of jockeying uh, for folks to, uh, you know, get their political ducks in a row, for lack of a better term, to, to get someone nominated. Uh, there is no timeline for us to do this. We can get this done when we want to get it done, is my understanding, but I could be wrong on that front. Uh, but uh, it's, I mean, it's not like a buzz conversation in Beacon Hill right now. It's the inaugurals getting our bills filed. Speculation and rumors abound about committee assignments and appointments to government and all that stuff uh, is, is dominating uh, the conversation among my colleagues. Uh, uh, at some point, we'll get around to uh, who will be the next governor's council for two years. Do you, uh, do you want to keep your uh, committee assignment, Jackie? I would like to. I, I still have some things to do. I mean, obviously, uh, the alcohol continues to be a big part of my life in terms of public policy. And uh, we did some you know, good things last cycle. Uh, and, uh, you know, the restaurant industry regarding things like takeout alcohol and outdoor dining, um, board of building regs associated outdoor dining, something that I've been monitoring for quite some time. And I have some thoughts in the matter. Uh, and uh, we'll continue to monitor how that's moving along. Um, you know, obviously I'm working on a lot of licensing issues. As you all discovered, it's a very technical issue. A lot of these licensings are updates to the current law, not really reforming licensing. It's reflection of the modern era of old terms and updated education requirements. Uh, and, uh, you know, still watching things like the state lottery, the racetrack, and, uh, you know, try to do some racing reform, uh, which was supposed to be done in 2020, if not for COVID, uh, mm. backbenching uh, this entire issue and modernization of the law that's frankly from 1932. So it badly needed an update regardless. So, you know, some, you know, not exactly exciting bills in the sense that it's not going to change the world right away, but, you know, very technical stuff that I deal with and very detailed issues that's trying to navigate. So, you know, it's, it's, uh, you know, I enjoy my committee assignment as, you, as you've all discovered over the last uh, couple of years now. And uh, it's a lot of work. It's very technical and eats up a lot of time, but um, you know, I do enjoy that. However, that being said, I still don't know what the speaker's recommendations are. And uh, at some point we'll find out and then uh, respond accordingly. We talk about um, a bill that is going to be um, 
this is controversial um, again, it's been ongoing, is uh, called medical aid in dying. Um, proponents object to the term assisted suicide. Um, opponents call it exactly that. Um, but there is going to be a bill debated uh, soon about that, right? Well, again, uh, how we describe things in public policy shapes how people think about things, right? Uh, and I always point to things like the words right to repair. Sounds great until you actually really think about what it really is. Uh, it's allowing mechanics to access your private data into your car, telemetrics that can find out anything you want about you. But it's called right to repair because people are like, yeah, yeah, they can you know, repair your car anywhere you want, but not get into those little details. We talked about this before, you know, in the in the last in the 2020 election cycle, which we, the voters voted on and sitting before the federal court. Um, you know, the, the ability for people to choose whether or not to continue their own life. And to have someone assist them to do that, because that's what it is. And you have to have someone sign off medically that you have no other options and to provide you the necessary uh, drugs to, uh, to be administered by uh, someone else or uh, basically by someone else uh, to allow you to die. Well, I mean, that's the definition. So in summary, that's the definition. I know there's details regarding two doctors and you know, medical uh, fitness in terms of mental health and all those other details involved. But anyone in a participation, even a person that has to determine your mental health is participating in decision-making regarding that, you know, you're able to ask someone else to participate in ending your life. So now that being defined, let's the public decide, uh, how would you like to define that? Uh, and uh, based on the definitional term as opposed to how you want to market and this is uh, the interesting about my world of policymaking is the fact people like to tag terms. Uh, I suppose let's give you the definition and let you think about what the, what the term should be. But that is essentially, what, uh, in summary, that's a very basic. Because I know there's a lot more details than that in the bill, but that's a very summarized portion. It's been filed up here for about 16, I think 16 years or so, eight terms, I think maybe even more. I remember this issue from back in my Morrissey days. Uh, so it's it's not new. And the voters did vote against this, I believe, uh, eight years ago, maybe, uh, by about 51% of the vote. Very, very controversial in the public uh, view. Uh, but we're also a free petition state. Literally anyone can file anything, uh, which is why we have you know, well into almost 5,500, 6,000 bills a cycle. So the legislative session is very busy with sheer Bible bills. Um, I suspect those may continue a lively debate among people for and against the issue. I continue to listen to both sides of the issue. The details of these bills keep changing ever so slightly every cycle. Like I said, I gave you the big picture summary. Uh, there are a lot of details associated with it. And uh, you know, this is a, it's not easy because it's, it's not necessarily just individual um, uh, seeking to end the, the individual's life. But I mean, it's, it's a participation from other folks, whether the person doing the mental evaluation to the, to the individual determining there are no other solutions, to the person that's actually going to provide uh, the assistance to, uh, to move uh, end of life gracefully. Um, it, it's not just one person. And of course, there's the impact on family members and also the impact of society as a whole regarding uh, how we value or unvalue, depending on what side of the argument you're on. I mean, yes or no, you know, where we are society regarding this issue. 
And uh, the divided vote uh, of this losing, but a very closely divided vote, reflects that the society is uh, unclear as a whole, uh, you know, which direction makes the most sense. So again, I always listen to the arguments from both sides of the matter. And people under the myth there's only one side of the argument. That is not true. There's two sides of the argument. And both have sent very impassioned uh, statements to my office uh, regarding a for and against. And I suspect it will continue again this year. Yeah, one question I had about it was how does it impact um, life insurance company, life insurance policies? You know, could there be clauses uh, written into some of these that would negate a payout because of that? Yeah, uh, again, another detail that uh, I'm not sure how it would work either. Uh, you know, uh, the only uh, tragic case I can think of regarding insurance payout was the Brian Joyce situation where he attempted to make it look like uh, an accident versus suicide. And uh, obviously, uh, he was trying to think about you know, providing for his family in, quite frankly, strong, tragic way. Obviously, we knew there was a crowd of an, a criminal investigation around him at the time. Um, but at the same time, I mean, there was a full investigation. Insurance companies you know, want to ensure that the payout meets the policy um, and try to defraud the insurance company uh, was uh, something, you know, obviously, insurance companies try to avoid being defrauded. I mean, it's they don't want to be fraud on insurance claims. So, I mean, there's those questions. There's also medical insurance questions, you know, who's going to be compensating. I deal with state issues, uh, you know, things like, you know, last minute wills. If there's a substantial amount of a state, you know, it was like a, these last minute decisions made, uh, who's participating, you know, if a person's participating in the, um, the, the act of uh, assisted end of life, compensation, hmm. right? Uh, and, uh, you know, what state of mind's going into the end. And I know there's a grace period and changing in mind too, uh, but I mean, a lot of other decisions can occur during the grace period. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of questions that you just brought up on a simple thing like insurance and who pays for it, but also all these other details that associated. And people can argue, yeah, other states like Oregon's figured it out. Sure, but every state is different in how they operate the insurance industry, the healthcare industry, and the probate courts. It's not uniform. Just because one state does it doesn't mean we do it too. Yeah, it's uh, as you as as it's very very clear. There's going to be a lot of uh, discussion, and we'll see what what happens in this session. Mm, yeah, uh, agreed. Uh, people uh, again, people you know, have, under the mistaken belief that when you can do it in one place in one state, then you can do it identically in another. It isn't that simple. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I'll give you another very uh, simple one. Uh, for example, it's uh, buying cigarettes is different in each state's regarding their age. Uh, marriage age is different in every state uh, to allow uh, teenagers to marry. Uh, so uh, just because it happens in one state doesn't mean it happens to another. And uh, those are just two relatively simple laws. Uh, so. Uh, but it you know expands to a whole litany of issues. I do licensing. Obviously, reciprocal licensing is a big issue. Every state has different rules and regs regarding how they do licensing. Um, very complicated, very, very complicated issue. Uh, COVID made it even more complicated. So, I mean, you know, people like to point to other states to policymakers all the time. It's like a regular occurrence over here. And they're like, oh, we do it here. She should do it here. I'm like, yeah, but we're not them. We're 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 us. And we do things differently and here's how it works and here's why. And, 
you know, there's, there's a lot of that. I mean, and also my other favorite one appears. You have to be first in the nation. I'm like, no, we don't. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> there's nothing wrong to see how other things unfold before we try. Right. Learn from others' mistakes, right? <laughs> yeah, sometimes first isn't good. I don't know why. It's a very uh, psychological thing, right? I mean, being first means you're a winner. Yeah, and certain things, obviously, first in the political uh, election. Yeah, being first is kind of important, right? Uh, but it's not always the case uh, in every instance. Uh, life isn't an election or a foot race. Let's talk about something that might be a little more uh, uh, easy to resolve is... Um, the uh, MCAS uh, test and requirement uh, to pass that to, in order to graduate high school. Yeah, as people may be aware, I'm very skeptical of the MCAS as a whole. It, it works against people who speak English as a second language in particular, um, and not all schools are created equal, and it's been used as a weighted system to try to influence uh, people to move to certain communities. Um, and it can be a weighted system to try to, you know, people grade, you know, your school, not really looking what's inside your school and the challenges associated with school. And there's inequities in the school regarding things like resource allocation, right? Quincy is actually a very high allocation resource to schools between the city budget as well as the state assistance. But other poorer communities don't have uh, the size of the property taxes. And, you know, we provide a lot of state assistance for poorer communities. However, I mean, there's only so much that can be provided uh, to those communities. And of course, you know, people will, you know, move jobs based for better pay as we move along. So uh, we do not have a true uniform system, uh, let's say in the country, in, the, in Europe, like France, for example, where the federal government uh, creates a uniform system of resource allocation to all schools in, in the country, including uh, nutritional uh, standards. Um, but at the same time, special education, uh, is not treated the same everywhere in the world. And uh, we're a country that, uh, we're not well, a country, we're a state. I can't say every state today, but we're a state that works our best to try to ensure equal access to education uh, to all uh, children. We try really hard. I mean, and we can still do better as we go along. Don't get me wrong. But we also put a lot of resources into uh, access to education. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, anybody uh, who has to, um, you know, work with, uh, Children uh, know that you know not every kid's the same, and and that's that's a major challenge. So you know my attitude's always been if you can read, you can do math, uh, and you can read competently, uh, you can learn anything you need to learn in life. Uh, yeah, I can't figure out how to do math anymore. Put it that way. Well, it's different from when we went to school, Jackie. <laughs> they teach it all different now. Well, I memorize uh, multiplication tables uh, in third grade. Uh, now they're memorizing multiplication tables at a younger age. Yeah. There is a cognitive issue. I mean, while memory you know, is a little easier, I guess, when you're younger. Uh, but I mean, there's a cognitive point as well. I mean, you know, three times three is nine, but you know, is a visualization of how you got to nine too. Um, so, but, you know, I'm a visual learner in the sense that, I mean, if I can see it, you know, I can get a better sense of what's happening than just reading it. But that's just my, um, my, how I desire to learn uh, that works for me. But, you know, everybody's different. And uh, you know, the MCAS has become a lot of more things, which I don't, which, you know, I don't know the logic behind some of it. I do think that a diversity of education is important. I do think that, you know, people should have uh, a broad educational component. Um, and I do think that, you know, the schools uh, can provide, uh, uh, how do I put this, uh, uh, 
global picture, a bigger picture of the world that we live around us. And, uh, you know, a lot of the stuff regarding, you know, concentration issues you know, can be done in university and college. Like if you want to be, you know, a class just in the Civil War for a semester, for example, you know, that, that's a college grade course. Uh, should you learn Civil War in high school? Yes. Are you going to learn at the level as you do in college? The answer is no. Um, yeah, but at the same time, we're also pushing things uh, up here at Beacon Hill for new legislative uh, mandates in education. So, for example, uh, you know, we've been talking about ethnic education here to talk about the contributions of other people of color as part of education system. Very involved, lots of moving parts, not as simple as it sounds, uh, because it's, uh, you know, reflection of a contribution of all people that live in the United States, not just mm -hmm. some. And uh, it's not about teaching people foreign countries. It's teaching about people that live here and the contributions here. And uh, the logic is to provide great education to people who are immigrants or people who lived here for five generations, you know, mm -hmm. a bigger view about you know, the formation of the United States in history. Um, yeah. Um, Mar Healy suggested a free community college for everybody 25 years and older. What do you think? Not new, been proposed before. Sounds like the Paul Patrick idea. Uh, back <laughs> in the day. Uh, uh, great. I mean, I don't know what to say. It's like, good. I mean, every governor, Democratic candidate suggested this, and the legislature's never funded it. So there. Uh, I hate to put it that simply. Yeah, I think uh, she put a price tag of 50 million, five zero million on it, something like that. I don't think that's enough money. It's never enough. Uh, because uh, it's, it's uh, not just say the price of education today, it's the price of education tomorrow. And uh, we'll, we'll go back to K through 12, chapter 70. No, it's it, the mechanisms designed that keep increasing the amount of money we give the cities and towns uh, for a decade. Uh, we're like year three in, in the 10 year cycle. Is it 10 or seven? I think it's seven, seven year cycle to uh, increase contributions. Uh, but I mean, you know, we increase. Uh, you know, so-called free um, college, uh, community college education, I mean, we still have to pay in the long run, not in the short term. You know, honestly, you know, personally speaking, I mean, if we somehow reduce fees at schools, um, I think it'll go a long way uh, to help student populations, not necessarily just at the tuition level, mm. uh, because the school will find a way to fee you. And those of us, whether it be going to private or public schools, no one knows exactly. It doesn't matter what decade you went to school in. Trust yeah. me, the fee thing showed up in your eyes like, where did this thing come from, right? Uh, it doesn't matter what decade. Trust me, all of us have felt this when you went to university or college. So, I mean, even the UMass system, you know, I'm surprised that the governor's office didn't look at the fee structure and goes, what is this really about? Mm -hmm. Good point. It's a state-funded school, sure. Mm -hmm. That was exactly it. So it isn't like a, a volunteer situation at home where you know PTOs and other neighbor organizations are raising some money for athletics or school trips or whatever, uh, that they feel that the school needs uh, extra assistance from the generosity of the public. No, this is you know, fees in particular in education are like mandated. You don't pay your fees, you don't go to school. That's right. Yep. It's like, so that's not tuition. So it's amazing. It's just, like you say, it's it's about marketing. It's how, it's how you how you call it. <laughs> well, again, this is kind of like we'll see how the governor's people, uh, you know, create the public policy. Is I yeah. think something I've noticed. Uh, I tend to be a little more like, you know, on the ground level 
uh, and I do pay some attention to what people tell me. Uh, so, uh, you know, let's look at like, I don't know, go get someone's bill and look at it and see what the problem is, as opposed to just saying, hey, let's give people free education. Well, let's back up a second. You know, what, what are the other barriers of entry besides just tuition, right? Transportation costs, right? Eating, I mean, ramen noodles, does people not remember Pop-Tarts and ramen? I ate a lot of Pop-Tarts, I probably shouldn't have, but I mean, you know, <laughs> ramen noodles. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, you know, it's competitive education. Uh, you know, the, I remember eating stale hamburgers for like, you know, 250. Nowadays, you know, some private schools have uh, sushi chefs, which I still boggle my mind, frankly. Uh, I'm like, where did I, I went to school in the wrong decade, uh, clearly. Um, that's no joke. It was like stale, barely warm hamburgers at Houston Center at Brandeis. I'm like, oh my God, I got to eat something. Um, not the most healthy uh, diet. I was a commuter, so we, we chomped and moved uh, between jobs and schooling. So between classes, I worked and then had a dash out to another job, and it became not a very healthy lifestyle. Like, I don't think my lifestyle is improving in terms of that kind of issue currently either. In some ways, I'm still like living in college between trying to get between jobs and and uh, and, and making the schedule for session and hearings. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm more you know grounded mentality about things like that. I mean, like, okay, fine, pull out someone's bill. Let's look at a real life situation. Let's factor in some other things that you know everyone has to deal with when they go to, go to education, whether commuter, living on campus, part time, full time. We will see where that one goes as well. Uh, it's safe to say, though, that uh, you know, a Democrat in the corner office does not guarantee uh, <laughs> passage of all proposed bills by the legislature. Oh, absolutely not. Deval Patrick hated us at one point because he had some perception which is rubber stamp whatever the governor wanted. And as time went along, the tension between the legislators and the governor uh, became uh, more of an internal issue because legislator, each legislator has a different priority and the House and Senate leadership has to manage our different priorities. And this not just includes the Democratic caucus, but also involves the Republican caucus priorities. It's not like we ignore our Republican colleagues. We do pay attention to catalytic converter. Theft issue, as I pointed, as I talked about earlier, was an initiative by my good friend Steve Howitt, a Republican from Seacock, mm-hmm. who's also a car aficionado, who knows all about these things that I have no idea about. Uh, and that was one of his initiatives. He just kept calling me about it, like, you know, I need some help with the speaker to push this out. I'm like, okay, well, I'll see what I can do to help you out, Steve, right? This is what, you know, good working relationships all about. Uh, but I mean, you know, as time goes along, you know, the, the challenge between the not just the governor, but the governor's secretariats and their undersecretariats and their commissioners and so forth, you know, have, you know, can choose, they don't have to do anything. They can choose to engage the legislature, the various chairs, vice chairs, committee members, and just individual folks and on both political parties to discuss, you know, important things that affect our districts and as well as uh, trying to move public policy issues forward. So, you know, we're inside a bit of a honeymoon period. It's a grace period, uh, but eventually that will end uh, and we'll see how uh, we're treated uh, by the executive branch and the you know, legislature tends to respond uh, based on how we're treated. Okay. <laughs> well, we'll lay the groundwork and we'll watch it watch it unfold. Uh, hey, speaking of House leadership, I was thinking of you, Tacky, during the uh, House leadership uh, fiasco in Washington, D.C. Oh, yeah. We, 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 can, we can't avoid not talking about that. Clown exactly. Show. I mean, let's call it what it is. Um, yeah, which part we want to talk about? 
<laughs> were you uh, were you surprised at, at, at uh, the the concessions that were made in order to to resolve that? No, no, not at all. I mean, this this is a re, uh, going back to the Balmer uh, Ryan era the speakership in the Republican caucus. This is basically a variation of that same scenario uh, where they created mechanisms to basically shoot themselves in the head in the caucus, the leadership, uh, and they're back to where they were before. Uh, interestingly enough, you know, Nancy Pelosi will also having a four or five person margin to achieve 218 uh, votes in the House, you know, was able to push through, for example, uh, through his own her own caucus, the ability to not have one person unseat the speaker or unseat the leader of the caucus, despite the fact that she also had a, uh, I won't say sizable, but big enough group that can derail her votes, right? And here's a huge reflection, while uh, not all Democrats are the same and not all Republicans are the same, uh, you know, and there's a huge spectrum of diversity in both political parties. People tend to lump us into binary one or the other. It's it's not. It's a spectrum of different folks with different districts, different ideas, different upbringings, different Democrats, different Republicans, and so forth. That, you know, Nancy Pelosi was able to, uh, for four years, despite this uh, small group of, you know, four to 10-ish people that, you know, far, far left in, and a few people that just didn't like her. <laughs> they weren't liberals. They just didn't like her. Right. You know, she was able to, you know, work uh, with these folks to uh, keep herself speakership, main, you know, get her leadership team in place, made proper concessions that didn't derail the House functionalities, nor create uh, special committees uh, that uh, that uh, certain people want, nor had to give up a whole bunch of choice assignments and maintain the seniority structure in the Democratic caucus. Now, uh, you know, some of you are like, you know, well, you know, it's you know, Democrats. I'm like, no, they had a bunch of infighting people can look at the papers about the infighting that's going on and try to navigate that. Now we have the complete opposite contrast with, with McCarthy here and, uh, you know, a similar situation for a vote margin. Uh, she, he didn't get the red, so-called red wave where he could, could have had like, you know, 30 Republican votes and, and he could marginalize uh, the people who just hate his guts uh, as well as, uh, you know, certain segments of the political wing uh, from being able to leverage their position against the speakership. So it's actually an interesting quandary when you think about it, where you have clear majority of your caucus, but you don't have the majority vote in the House of Representatives, which is yep. what you need to win the speakership. Uh, the majority of the House, not just the majority of your caucus. And uh, create a fascinating uh, observation from the outside looking in regarding how do you get to that number and to talk about voting present versus voting with them. Do Democrats get involved? Which, by the way, why would you get involved in something you get zero benefit from? I mean, people kept talking about that. Well, Democrats who kick in, I'm like, why? They get no chairmanships. They're not going to be able to push their agenda. They're still going to be treated like crap because they're a minority party. And uh, it's so divisive over there. It's personal. It's not like here in the state house where, you know, uh, we like you, don't like you because of the person you are, not because of uh, your political spectrum. We just don't like it because you're you, not because you know, your political um, ideology. Right. Um, you know, I, I, that's how I look at things. Um, no, even McCarthy understood that. So he didn't even, he didn't even cross that line. Exactly. Yeah. And, uh, and you have that guy Santos in, in New York state with this cloud above him that no one wants to touch in, in the Republican caucus because they still have to out how to handle it, given the small margin they have to maintain 218 votes. So uh, the concessions were, were quite 
amazing because he just created new mechanisms to depower himself. That's right. And the rules debate went off fairly smoothly, all things considered, because there's a reflection of some concessions uh, that he made, but not all concessions. Some of these concessions were handshake deals, which would be hashed out in the Republican caucus, particularly committee assignments. So I discussed earlier how the speaker makes a recommendation, the Democratic caucus approves or rejects the, the uh, recommendation of the speaker. The same thing happens in Republican caucus here. Same thing happens in Congress. Republican Democratic caucuses will recommend appointments and um, they will uh, be approved and disapproved by this, the membership. And uh, if I'm a loyal McCarthy person for many years and, you know, whipping votes for him and all that, and you got this little group of uh, folks that literally just do nothing to help you, just make your life miserable, and they're going to get heavily rewarded, not just rewarded, but heavily rewarded. And I'll be like, hey, dude, um, been with you, been loyal, yeah. Uh, yeah. getting this, well, well, we needed these guys. Seriously? I mean, I, I could see that, like, that's a real life like all of us should be thinking that, right? This is not a political thing. This is called like common sense, right? Everybody listening to me would be like, oh yeah, why, why wouldn't you, right? Um, so there's a lot of like these internal caucus things that we're probably going to get some uh, leaks uh, that, you know, the you know, papers and the, the news media will catch and it will maybe glean some insight what's really going on in that caucus. Yeah. But, you know, he got, he got past the first stuff for obviously the speakership, made mass concessions that had, really hurt him on pushing even the Republican agenda. Yeah. Um, and then uh, he managed to survive rules debate, uh, create this like committee to investigate the DOJ or whatever you want to call it, you know, uh, bias against conservatism. I'm like, okay, I mean, whatever. And they want to do like a, a Chinese investigation security thing. Like, okay, that's oh, fine. Yeah. Yeah. No, they're just committees. Um, they passed a resolution to defund the IRS essentially. Uh, or reduce the budget by $80 billion. Yes. And those of you who are still waiting for your refunds or your audit or uh, anything that's pending over there, which I've heard complaints about by, by friends, particularly in the business sector, small businesses, uh, you know, the Republican caucus in DC just basically want to make your life harder by basically getting rid of the agency's employees that we're waiting for a response from uh, the dismantling of government uh, because... Because um, obviously the Democratic uh, Senate and the President's Democratic uh, are not going to push those agendas forward. So now you have a situation where you have one branch that uh, is severely compromised, not necessarily because the Republicans control the House, but because the Republican caucus in itself is compromised on how they run their run their caucus. And hopefully, or maybe, I have no idea, maybe he doesn't survive six months. Uh, a member will object to his speakership or leadership of the caucus, and they have to start over again. Yeah. Um, I don't know. We'll, we'll see how it plays out. It's, it's, it's pretty fascinating. We're going to see a huge contrast, agree or disagree of the policy matters, the operation of the caucus, the operation of the House um, is more than just putting down bills and laws. It's what it sounds like. It's how you operate um, the branch. Mm -hmm. um, so I think it'll be, uh, if you're a political watcher or you like to learn about uh, procedures and lessons down in Congress, um, this is going to be a great observation. For sure, yeah. Um, before we talk again, Jackie, it will be uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Day coming up uh, already upon us. Any, uh, any district events or activities that you know of? Not to my knowledge. We haven't really done anything since COVID 
Yeah. And then, you know, uh, Quincy Human Rights Commission had in the past uh, had events. Uh, and then the Human Rights Commission, for whatever reason, was able to not continue those. I remember because I got actually the Martha Luther King Community Service Award from the Human Rights Commission many, many moons ago. I think it was like 2009. I remember I had to dig our car out. It was like the smallest attendance ever at North Quincy High School. I mean, it was snow snowed in situation. And, yes, yes. And, and I remember getting a note from uh, Rosemary Wahlberg about how how easy it was to select me at the time, as well as um, how proud it was uh, she was for me to be a recipient. Um, I was actually a, a past recipient as well. Um, yeah. In two thousand and two. All right, so you, know, you got a head start on me. Uh, <laughs> But no, it's it's you know it's it's nice to be recognized, but it's not the end of the world as you know as well. Um, but uh, you know, I um, Germantown Neighborhood Association, uh, I'm sorry, Germantown Neighborhood Center, uh, you know, had took over the event for a few years under Kaffer Quigley, and then uh, you know they were unable to keep it up because it's it's a lot of uh, work to put together an event and then you know do some recognitions and all, you know, get the kids out and all that on a holiday, and then we have uh, the city taking it over for a little bit, and then. Um, yeah, I've, I've not heard anything. Uh, BC High um, has a an event going on um, in the morning, and I don't have an interest to go, to be honest. Um, but I mean, I generally attend something that's local. Um, to my knowledge, there's nothing going on. Uh, maybe there will be at some point, but I have no idea what it is. And it's somewhat unfortunate uh, that that hasn't, that hasn't happened, uh, especially given uh, the incidents we've had regarding some racial issues last year. Uh, as well as uh, some hate crimes and, and violence against uh, people of color, as well as the graffiti incident at uh, Quincy High School with Principal Ford. And uh, I'm fairly confident those are not isolated incidents. Uh, I've heard stories. People forget I do hear things. Uh, uh, and uh, there tend to be eyewitness, I hear things. Um, but again, I don't run the city. I just live here like the rest of you. Uh, and, uh, you know, I mean... It's a reflection of our community uh, regarding uh, the city's leadership regarding certain matters. And uh, like, you know, as we go, I go through every two years, um, representing people in Beacon Hill the best I can and try to do uh, constituent services and other things for folks at home. Um, you know, you know, it's reflection of state government at home and how you vote and ballot questions also reflects the state government uh, on Beacon Hill too. Uh, so those ballot questions are important when people vote on them. Uh, same thing on city government level, how they handle things as well as, uh, you know, how they value different holidays and events. Uh, you know, it's a reflection of not just the city government, but also the people living in Quincy. So like you all, uh, you know, I just kind of live here. <laughs> uh, how can folks get a hold of you, Tacky? Well, I'm still in the same office for now until the speaker and the Democratic caucus says otherwise. So we're still at 617-722-2370, 617-722-2370. That's the phone number. I have staff in office. Uh, we are trying to set up ourselves right now regarding uh, the upcoming session. T-A-C-K-U-I.C-H-N at mahouse.gov, tacky.chan at mahouse.gov is my telephone number. So we have, I'm sorry, my email. My email is actually fairly tame right now, which... I'm happy by. Uh, won't be happy probably in three weeks when it goes out of control. Uh, obviously, State Representative Tacky Chan Facebook. You can follow me there as well as at Tacky Chan on Twitter. Please do not social media me. Just call or email me. Much easier. 
and uh, techchat.org, as well as malegislature.gov, other our websites, and of course, KUA TV. Uh, you can archive, see my archives, and some of the God knows what I've been saying in the past. So if you care to uh, beat me up, there's plenty of material for you to do so. So, and of course, you know, I always enjoy my time with Jill and Mark, uh, whenever we able to get together. As we, as do we, Tacky. We look forward to having you uh, here in the studio again soon uh, this year. Well, I've gotten comfortable as you see a little more casual. <laughs> so, as we joked about last time, uh, dressing up for the QA TV. But also, just want to remind folks uh, this special election coming up. I'm sure you guys are reminding folks as well, you know, on the award for special election uh, next uh, Tuesday, the 17th, uh, and the final election coming up on the 7th of February. So, those who are looking for four, I'll just remind folks that you have a municipal ward council special election and uh, you know, please get out and vote. Um, like we always say it's important that everyone's voice be heard and uh, you know how you vote is a reflection of uh, the community you live in. Absolutely. All right. Thank you so much, Jackie. Have a wonderful week. We'll check in again uh, next week. Yeah, you take care and I'll see you in a week's time. <laughs>